that void is going to be filled by something. So my position has been consistently, if I'm going to reject any of these five doctrines, I've got to have something that makes sense to go in it. Yeah, and that's fair. Uh, the salvation there is not man's choice. It is me throwing myself at the mercy of Christ, staying on the sidewalk, for doing what I could not do myself by living the perfect life and dying a substitutionary death as Christ did. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Apt Cast, where iron sharpens iron and we poke each other with the pointy ends. I am your host, Wes, joined as always with Alex. How's it going, buddy? Hey, fam. What's up, happy people? Happy people. Hopefully y'all are happy. Hopefully y'all don't hate me after the last couple of episodes. <laughs> How could we possibly hate you? I don't know. No, it was fun. Um, just before we uh, get into it, just kind of a, uh, I don't know, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, nostalgic hey, that's, look. That's, that's my job, to not remember <laughs> the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, just kind of remembering back, I, I think it's really neat how, uh, one, we were able to have that conversation for so long, so cordially. Um, one, of, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Dustin Armstrong, posted on uh, the link that uh, it was really nice to hear guys who disagree be able to have such a good conversation. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, but for those of you who have already heard part two, it was neat to see how in some ways necessary it is when you're talking about one of these five points to have to go into the others. Like it's really difficult to talk about any of these in isolation because there's such a web there's such an interconnectedness between all of them. But I think you did great. And even though I didn't quite understand what was happening while it was happening, um, the editing process taught me a lot. <laughs> That's fair. The The moral of the story there is if, if you are in the camp on Wes's side of this conversation, don't disregard what I'm saying after one listen. Go back and after you've had a chance to digest the episode, go back and listen to the plug Wes is going to tie in the eight minute clip. Yeah. Re really get in and understand it. Then disagree with it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to disagree with it, find the logical flaws, but you know, if you're just going to disagree out of, out of cognitive dissonance, you know, you do you, but well, I would <laughs> intentionally do cognitive dissonance, but I think that actually goes against what cognitive dissonance actually is. <laughs> Touche, uh, touche. Yeah. All right. Well, real quick, uh, we had some new likes. We, we set them last week, but with the technical difficulties with the Facebook Live, our intro wasn't able to be maintained. So uh, apologies for the tardiness, but Amber Light, thank you for liking the show. Amanda Sanders, thank you. And also Jared Abbott. He's a new like since last week. So uh, thanks to all three of you. You guys are phenomenal. Appreciate your support. Uh, you can find us on the Facebooks, The Book of Faces, at facebook.com slash podcast. Swing by, give us a like, uh, share our episodes, uh, comment on them, tell us what you think, especially this series. This is a uh, just an ongoing conversation that Alex and I have been having for, what, going on four or five Half years now? Half a decade. Now? Yeah, something like that. Nearly. Yeah, so join the conversation. It may be premature, but I'm going to go ahead and try to put us on the hook that at least when this is uh, series is done, if not before then, we're going to try another Facebook Live episode uh, to get some interaction in real time. Maybe a recap of everything. So don't hold me to it, but I'm kind of committing to it. <laughs> 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 and uh i do want to add in a point uh, i haven't gotten to listen to your edit of the second half of the t 
But listening to the first half, I realized our conversations over the last four plus years have given us such a deep understanding of the intricacies of each other's points. Well, I say that, but then you throw a bomb at me last week and tell me you don't think that uh, the provisionist position has been well fleshed out. That just threw me for a loop. Um, but anyway, we, we overall, I digress, right? Yep. Shocker. Uh, <laughs> we have learned each other's positions so well that I didn't give enough, I don't know, background or depth to some of my descriptions for people not in the know of our various conversations over the years to keep up with what I was saying. Like, I got it. I understood from context of what you asked and my response and all that. But I could easily see how people couldn't necessarily follow my arguments. And I'm sure it even, you know, got even more rabbit holy in the second half uh, because of my 9,000 point argument, as you said. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just want to say, point, point that out that I acknowledge that our, our back and forth over the years has given me insight to West's arguments that allows me to respond without as much information as I was in need if Wes was just an associate or uh, not familiar to me at all. So I'm going to try not to do that for the next four weeks. Oh, you think we're going to get this done in four weeks? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I admire your optimism, sir. Yeah, I'm normally just a realist engineer, but I'm trying to be an optimist. Yeah, well, you know, interesting you, you took that from it as I was listening to it. I, I think that uh, between uh, losing the copy of notes that I had going into it and the technical difficulties that we had, I was kind of scatterbrained in my introduction. So I don't think I did as good a job as I could have introducing uh, total depravity from my perspective. Yeah, you're not getting away with that this week. I was going to point yeah. out that I let I'll let you get away with a uh, softball. Sorry, squirrel. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Fine. Interrupt me. Derail this conversation <laughs> before it gets started. <laughs> nah, go. You didn't. You did not. I agree. You did not introduce your argument very well, and I let you get away with it as a softball. To be fair, though, half the Bible passages you cited, uh, I would have used for so. your argument. Yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> I was content to just let you go with it. <laughs> well, the, the the point was uh, the the whole conversation kind of went from the default position of you're biblically correct, and that is not the case. So, yeah, I let you get away with a softball. I didn't actually lay out a good enough case before we started kind of going with the back and forth. So this time I've got um, what I think is a pretty concise uh, definition of what we understand to be unconditional election. Uh, then I've got some uh, key passages from the Canons of Dort, which if you'll remember back to the intro episode, that is uh, really where what we know is the five, ca uh, five points of Calvinism uh, emerged. And as a good Baptist, as a good Reformed Baptist, I've got a few uh, citations from the 1689 uh, Confession of Faith. And then, believe it or not, yes, I do have actual scripture references. So we can camp out in these. It's about or... time you added that in. Oh, my gosh, really? Well, I'm not going to let you take them from me this time. So my <laughs> intro may be rather lengthy. Okay. But I'm I'm going to try to make it as brief as possible so we can get into it. But I want to make sure that I'm able to lay out enough of a foundation so that hopefully we can find some areas of agreement before we jump right into the uh, poking each other with the pointy ends disagreement. But that's what we do. Uh, we skip, not skip straight to that. All okay. right. So the, the definition I found is actually uh, from... Uh, Ligonier.org, which shout out to Sproul's What is Reformed Theology. Uh, if you don't have that book, it's a really good primer on Reformed Theology as a whole, but there's a section on Calvinism. But um, the definition here, which uh, I would wholeheartedly agree with, the Reformed view of election, known as unconditional election, means that God does not foresee an action or condition on our part that induces him to save us. Rather, election rests on God's sovereign decision to save whomever he is pleased to save. So that's, that's the basic definition. Now, to go a little bit deeper uh, from the canons of Dort, uh, 
the actually, interestingly enough, uh, election is the first doctrine that they deal with. So they don't actually take it total depravity, unconditional election like TULIP. Unconditional election is the first doctrine they deal with. In Article 7 of that first section, election is God's unchangeable purpose by which he did the following. Before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, God chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race, which had fallen by its own fault from its original innocence into sin and ruin. Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the others, but lay with them in the common misery. From Article 9. The same election took place not on the basis of foreseen faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, or of any other good quality and disposition, as though it were based on a prerequisite cause or condition in the person to be chosen, but rather for the purpose of faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, and so on. So faith, holiness, and other saving gifts and at last eternal life itself, flow forth from election as its fruits and effects. So we'll have that. And then uh, finally, uh, actually not finally, uh, from the uh, London Baptist Confession, chapter 3, which is on God's decree. It's one of my favorite chapters of that, that great work. By the decree of God for the manifestation of His glory, some men and angels are predestinated or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Others being left to act in their sin to their just condemnation to the praise of his glorious justice. Those of mankind that are predestined to, predestinated to life, God before the foundation of the world was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any other thing in the creature as a condition or cause moving him thereunto. Now, as far as scripture is concerned, my particular favorites, and Alex, you'll remember this, uh, when I first started teaching, uh, at our church in our Sunday school class, uh, my first uh, two weeks of actually uh, opening the Bible and teaching that were two weeks on predestination, uh, of which election really uh, kind of brings to the forefront. So those two passages were the first to come to mind, Romans 8, 29 and 30. Um, I'll just read part of it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Also, Ephesians 1, which you made reference to last week. Maybe we can dig down a little bit deeper into that uh, to see what it has to say about election this week. Um, I've got uh, verses 3 through 12. I won't read the whole thing, but we can dive into it. But in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then continuing later in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Um, also, John 6, which we kind of alluded to yesterday, which actually got us off on the uh, election tangent. Uh, John 6, 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Matthew 25, uh, when Jesus is speaking of the, the final judgment separating the sheep from the goats, then the king will say to those on his right, and this is verse 34, Come, you, are, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
And then finally in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, so this is towards the, the intro, verse 9, uh, referring to God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So that's my intro. Yeah, which what was which was the second Timothy? Second Timothy, that was chapter one, verse nine. One nine, okay. That's what I marked. All right. So I'm gonna give my intro, and that's that last one's the only one I didn't have in my list. Mm. Um, I had the others plus Matthew twenty two fourteen, John eight forty seven. Whoa, 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 hang on. <laughs> I'll give you a list so you okay. can add it. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, John 15, 16, Romans 9, 11 to 12, 15 to 18, 23, 22 to 23. Basically, Romans 9, but those in particular. See, I wasn't even going to go Romans Acts 9. 13, 48, Isaiah 43, 2021, 20, Romans 11, 5 to 7, 1 Corinthians 2, 7, uh, Malachi 3, 16 to 18, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. Titus 1, 1 and 2, uh, second, oh, excuse me, 1 Peter 2, 6 to 9, 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4, Psalm 65, 4, Exodus 6, 7, Deuteronomy 7, 6. See why I'm going to give you a list. Uh, yeah. Thess- 2 Thessalonians <laughs> 2, 13, all of Jude 4, Ephesians 2, 5 and 8. And then I added a couple at the bottom that aren't in my list on the top in... Second Timothy two ten, I don't think I said that one. Anyway, I've got several others in my notes for Second Timothy two ten. Yeah. Oh, okay, so that was Second Timothy one nine. You went yep. one chapter more, one verse more. I know, I know. <laughs> that's why. I, that's why I asked because it threw me off for mine. Now, now, real quick, these yeah. these passages that you've cited um, are these you think speak against election, or are these no, similar to what you had before, uh, right. last week, it's, which it's, are typically it's points brought up? Within the, yeah, it's points within the arguments for unconditional election that have to be considered either from the premise of tulip doctrine is objective biblical truth, or in my opinion, out of context to fit, uh, but are used in the argument. Okay. So, if we're going to do that, though, then just real quick, I'm obligated yep. to say that I think um, the verses from Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21 <laughs> uh, really do the best job of supporting my position. <laughs> okay. I got so, it before in, you did. <laughs> into my intro. <laughs> in before. Oh, we need a meme for that. We yep. need a meme on our Facebook page for in before so-and-so. Okay. Fun times. Um. So you went with your background source, and I'm going to use your background source material Come on. for my argument as well. Love it. Um, so I'm going to start from a different premise uh, with some questions. Is the gospel message genuine? Is the offer well meant for all people, or are there, as Calvinists believe, only a limited number of people who it was truly meant for? What? Uh, Where are you getting these questions from? <laughs> This is the argument that comes, not always from you, but this is the argument that comes that is all God so of the world that all that whosoever believes in him should uh, that all not perish but have everlasting pride. Or that whosoever uh, okay. believes. So, yeah, we're going to get into that. <laughs> all right. So uh, the, you have had an argument against me and it's kind of a tongue in cheek argument. Can you let me finish my intro first? Uh, I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah, it's several paragraphs long. I'm not done. Um, (laughs) I'm going to start over too, by the way. Mm. Uh, So in in your immediate opposition to this point, we've had this debate about whether the offer of salvation was truly for all people and whether it was. God, you get me into limited atonement already. Seriously? Dude, one Uh, doctrine. I'm I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. Do it. Uh, so the this ties into your argument over limited atonement, right? Uh, and it's necessary. It's hinged on unconditional election, exactly. Anyway, so is the gospel message genuine? Is the offer well meant for all people, or are there, as Calvinists believe, only a limited number of people who it was truly truly limited? 
Is man wholly responsible for his own sin, or is God necessarily the author of sin, even secondarily or mysteriously among his own counsel, responsible so that his will can contradict the most obvious reading of uh, Scripture? I do not argue against Calvinism because I have nothing else to do, or because I want freedom from God to choose for myself, or because I like the idea of uh, or, excuse me, or because I don't like the idea of a God who unchangeably decreed things I cannot affect. Those don't concern me. I oppose Calvinism and these individual doctrines as making the gospel offer insincere from the way I read scripture, as an irrational interpretation of the consistent message of the Bible, and as making God ultimately responsible for decreeing sin, which he said never even entered his heart, mind, thoughts, however you want to interpret the part in the Old Testament that he said he never considered it. Uh, We know he knows all things, so it was in his mind, logically speaking. Uh, It logically, Calvinism being it, Calvinism logically places the responsibility for rejection of God on God himself instead of on man, whether Calvinists believe that or not. That is the logical conclusion of it. It logically places the responsibility for rejection of God on God himself instead of on men. Since, and I understand that no Calvinist, even hyper-Calvinists believe that, but it's the logical conclusion. Uh, Since God determined it before the foundation of the earth, God is secondarily responsible for man's sin by causally determining it would be what happened. This makes God subject to the punishment of Mosaic law for an accomplice of an evil act. If God is the causal determining factor of positive and negative events, actions and sinfulness by sovereign decree of all things, then by his own word, God hates his own life per Proverbs 29, 24 for not preventing the sin of Satan of man and of the demons. I oppose Calvinism because it maligns the purity and sovereignty of God. I oppose Calvinism because God has no problem with crediting man's faith as righteousness. See Abraham. And Jesus even marvels at man's faith and lack thereof. See Luke 7, 9 for the positive in the Roman commander. And Mark 6, 6 for the negative in the people of Nazareth, his his own people of Nazareth rejecting him. Uh, My position is that the elect are those who choose faith, the damned choose death, and that the elect is not remotely what Calvinism has interpreted it to be. Meticulous determinism cannot be true because it conflicts with what the biblical definition of love is. See my 9,000 point argument last week, uh, identified in 1 Corinthians 13. A real-world example of this is that a pastor cannot preach meticulous determinism, uh, a husband cannot practice meticulous determinism, and a father cannot practice it because it would conflict with the concepts of a person being responsible for their own action. A A man must raise his children, interact with his wife, family, and friends, and a pastor must teach his flock as they are responsible for their own actions. If meticulous determinism is true, then ultimately God is directly, necessarily responsible for all that is, not man responsible for his own sin. Uh, One rebuttal I get to where I'm going with this is that the alternative is man saves himself and that it is the wiser Mm -hmm. decision. Uh, That argument is a red herring. Wiser decisions are an objective part of daily life. It is an objectively wiser decision to accept a free gift of God offered in Jesus Christ than to reject it. That does not conclude that we have saved ourselves any more than it being wiser to adhere to a crosswalk sign warning you not to cross a busy street is better than stepping into traffic with cars going 50 miles an hour results in your death. Uh, the the default position is death for the sin and life because God protects you for choosing to reject the sin. Uh, The salvation there is not man's choice. It is me throwing myself at the mercy of Christ 
staying on the sidewalk for doing what I could not do myself by living the perfect life and dying a substitutionary death as Christ did. Okay. Um, the wisdom there is recognizing the truth of God given to us in Christ's sacrifice. It is not salvation. So that red herring needs to be laid to rest. And no, that one doesn't come from you. That one's one I hear online all the time. Calvinists must address the concern of non-Calvinists, not simply dismiss our concerns because they don't fit what you believe is a sincere message of the Bible. The alternative idea of libertarian free will is not undermining God's sovereignty of decreeing things in all eternity past. It is relieving God our position is relieving God of the responsibility of man's sin because free will to choose or reject places every bit of blame possible on man. It requires the mystery of God's counsel to deny God's ownership of even a portion of that responsibility under Calvinism. Uh, summary here. Here's where I get into your own claims. Uh, I know this is not the one you quoted, but Westminster Confession says pretty much the same thing as your quote uh, from the, uh, uh, I think it's the Synod of Dort where you got this one from. Uh, God mm -hmm. from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Very different. That's actually from the, the confession. No, uh, you I, said yeah, Synod yeah, of Dort. I, yours, Dort but, yours was yeah. from Synod of Dort. That's from the 1647 Westminster Confession. Uh, so it's stated a little different, but it's basically saying the same thing. So... My position is that no matter how much Calvinists say that God causally decreed all things, whether just causally decreeing the positive and accepting the negative, or causally determining both positive and negative, it is logically in God's court that he is responsible for the sin. You can't just say, I don't believe that. It is, an, is a logical contradiction. Uh, it does not hold the truth, the justice, the righteousness, or the love God demonstrates as examples in the Bible to make that claim and just assert it as truth. Uh, nor is it explainable with the logic of man. It must be chalked up to mystery. Calvinists must resolve the blatant contradiction in the statement. Simply stating God is not responsible for sin does not make it so in your proclamation. I've got a lot more, but I'm going to stop there because I think it can be better served in a back and forth. What else, the, the rest of what I have. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. I think you've hit on uh, a lot of really good points there. Um, in hindsight, I think the issue of libertarian free will probably would have fit better in the total depravity conversation. We had but, a two hour yeah. mega session. And I realized at the end, I didn't tie <laughs> yeah. it in. Uh, it's, in my mind, the two are indistinguishable. They're inseparable. So uh, we'll tie yeah. the conversation loosely back in, uh, and I will talk about the libertarian free will there. Because unconditional election is only necessary if God predestined everything and man is totally depraved and incapable of responding on his own. So they, they tie in together inseparably to me, which is why I cannot understand Arminian position of agreeing with total depravity and provenient grace combined with faith of man. I, I don't get that. The, the two are inseparable. Unconditional election and total depravity. Well, would not an acknowledgement of total depravity, but an, a, a, a view of provenient grace that basically eliminates the uh, predilection to sin, so eliminates basically the effects of total depravity, on the person's actions end up with what could be understood as a libertarian free will? Nah, not the way provisionists view the interplay. Are, are you a provisionist? So far, it's the closest I can mesh myself with actually holding to a systematic. Uh, and since you demand no, a I'm systematic, yeah, I know you are. I, I don't <laughs> demand a systematic. Here's, here's my thing. And, and this comes from, um, 
just kind of a uh, another rabbit trail. I get to do the rabbit trail this time. Uh, years of uh, apologetics with unbelievers yeah. specifically. There's this tendency by what standard to uh, from from. Well, no, 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 not not that. Uh, I mean, kind of in a sense, but there's a tendency for atheists specifically to say, I don't believe that I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything. When in actuality, there is a belief that is right. held to, whether you recognize it or not. And so that when, when I'm talking about a systematic theology, all I'm really mentioning or, or all I'm really trying to communicate is a way to explain and organize our theological yeah. understanding. And, and I think to that extent, we both would recognize a quote unquote systematic theology and that understanding is fine. And so from a Calvinistic perspective, part of my uh, systematic involves these mm-hmm. five doctrines. Similar to the atheist who says, well, I reject God. Yeah. That void is going to be filled by something. So my position has been consistently, if I'm going to reject any of these five doctrines, I've got to have something that makes sense to go in its place. Yeah, that's fair. I just don't, I just don't accept the idea that I need a different systematic to replace it because uh, Arminians hold to total depravity, or some do, and some hold to perseverance of the saint, and others don't. I mean, the, the the whole idea of a systematic brings up opens the door for far too many contradictions or being tied to a label as someone else understands it, as opposed to them understanding your position. Like, uh, for example, uh, the group you refuse to name and their, their (laughs) prominent theologian, Leighton Flowers, Leighton Flowers, uh, he holds to certain interpretations of the, "Quote unquote doctrines of provisionism, provision, yeah, provisionism, provisionist, uh, systematic, in the details in books like the Potter's Promise and others mm-hmm. that right had take too much presupposition, like logical presupposition, mm-hmm. not biblical presupposition. Right there, there, there's different presuppositions if if you're reading scripture." understanding it hermeneutically and uh, culturally within the context that the New Testament and Old Testament personages would have understand it and not anthropomorphizing their writing to fit 21st century American culture, which it may not contextually fit at all, then presupposition is okay, right? If you're if you're adhering to right. the cultural and hermeneutic uh, standards of the writing and of the period, but presupposition, well, what's a good way to describe it? Uh, you know, anal- analogy, analogy, or uh, all the other literary terms that describe comparisons of your own experience to uh, events in a various in any given piece of literature, a lot of his conclusions require too much presupposition that's not wholly captured in the Bible, right? So I agree with his premises that the points of the provisionist viewpoint, but when you dig down into his details, I would even argue with some of his conclusions can't necessarily be the conclusions strictly biblically read uh and he admits that more times than not but i I just i don't like being tied to a systematic when even i disagree with its major theologians on various points no that's fair Uh, i and i i I said what i said not to um well i said what i said specifically for you to know i'm not trying to impose a systematic uh, and if you don't want to provide a systematic, I'm not. Go- I, I want to not expect right. one from you if, if that's not what you want to do. And I also don't want anybody listening to believe that there's some sort of a responsibility on their part to uh, or expectation yeah. to provide a systematic. That's that's not what I'm trying to do. And it may yeah. be a fault of mine 
but that's just kind of how I think. So if I, if I say this is true, in order for me to believe that this is false, I need to believe that something else is true. That's fair. Yeah. So for, for me, the provisionist argument is the one I'm most aligned with. So for the sake of the tulip conversation, presume unless I state otherwise, my argument comes from the ideas of provisionism. Traditional Baptist, the term provi- uh, provisionist coined. Oh, yeah, we got into this conversation last week, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the provisionist title coined, I think, by Leighton Flowers. Anyway, so I disagree with them on a major point. Uh, the idea you asked this last week, and I didn't get to listen the second half, so I don't know if I ever clearly answered it. Uh, did our nature change in the garden? Uh, on one level, I think, yes, it did. Necessarily, it did because death entered the world. Obviously, it changed from a life without death to a life where physical death occurs in everyone. Right. I don't. But not a spiritual component. Correct. Uh, the the okay. the change I think you were asking about was the spiritual component. I would agree with the provisionist argument that we did not spiritually die dead in sin before we ever learned to sin uh, because of Adam's sin. Uh, and I think there's scriptural support for that in the Old Testament where it talks about the uh, father not being responsible for the son's sin and the sin not uh, the son not being mm-hmm. uh, of the father not being not on the being son. punished yeah. for the right. sins of the father. Yeah. So uh, and, and that's that's a loose application, but that's just the most obvious and the most easy for anyone else to capture uh, that that sets the foundation sure. for my o- opposition to imputed guilt of sin because of Adam. Uh, Okay. And it also ties in, and I, this is the wrong point in Tulip Doctrine because I didn't finish last week. But my, my summary there is that That's fine. Uh, a review is okay. yeah right. My summary there, and th- this matters for this week because it it frames my argument against unconditional election. That's why I'm focusing on something that should have been talked about last week. W- we all physically die, and uh, our bodies cannot live in harmony with God in the regenerated or, you know, if Adam hadn't sinned uh, in the perfect form before his sin, uh, live in regenerated harmony with God without the sacrifice of Christ. So even for the unborn or the mentally incapable of understanding right and wrong, they still need the grace of God to be regenerated, right? Mm -hmm. So their, their physical form was changed when man left the garden, whether it's through not having access to the tree of life or supernaturally changed from net from normally immortal to naturally mortal. Well, since since we're going back yeah, on sorry. the sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but since since we're uh, stepping back over this, do you think that there's uh, a uh, an illustration of sorts in that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden to represent the spiritual brokenness that was between them and their relationship with God. I would say yes. So man has. A, so there was a spiritual component for them. They were cast out because for of their the, spiritual okay. loss, right? That's and yep. each person has the loss of normally immortal life because of their sin. So there was a change in that men all die now. Death entered the world through one man's sin. Uh, That's not exactly how Paul says it, but you know what I'm saying. So the death there is physical death. And Mm -hmm. God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice is necessary there. And I'll get into this in unconditional election because it's it's central to my points on unconditional election. That's why I'm reviewing it in such detail. Well, sure. Uh, So man did have a change, but I reject that it was naturally born sinful doomed for hell without any act of sinfulness on his part. Uh, There's just too much evidence that that cannot be the objective default translation of Scripture that supposedly supports total depravity. It it has to be inferred from the systematic that that's what is meant. Uh, That's not the the only, I would say, not even the best interpretation contextually for any support of total depravity. Okay, so moving on to unconditional election, if you don't have any reply or questions or comments on that. Well, I I did have one question uh, based based on your explanation there. And I agree 
proper understanding of human nature is definitely going to influence what we think about election and, and how that works. Would you say or would you agree with the statement that, um, in a sense, each individual is uh, an atom of himself that is not conceived with sin, but then has their own individual fall? Absolutely. So, uh, okay. uh, the girl from that name that won't, that group that won't be named that we're both Kate. friends with, uh, I've been talking to her. Yes. Kate. Sorry. Sorry, Kate. If you're listening, I just totally blanked. She's on good name. people. Uh, yeah, she is good people. Uh, Kate and I had this conversation in a sidebar in that group once upon a time, and we need to have a sidebar about that group. Uh, it was my consideration of what the implication of the necessity of man was always mortal and only kept immortal by eating of the tree of life. It, it's, it implies too much. It, it begs too many questions to insinuate that. So being separated from the garden brought death into the well, not being separated. Sin brought death into the world. Being separated from the garden kept Adam from living forever. The, the insinuated goal there is that man could be in the perfect plan of God in the preordained perfect plan of God, be brought back into communion with God through the plan of Jesus Christ, mm. right? So if Adam had lived forever, the, the acknowledgement is man could have lived forever separated from God, uh, separated from communion with God. Um, to claim then that man is default nature is sinful and rejecting of God without God's giving of grace, giving of faith, presumes that Adam and Eve were separated from God for eternity because I wouldn't go sin, that far, but right? I'm okay. The, I'm, I'm listening. Well, you got to You got, you got to follow it logically, right? So they would have had to been given faith in God. Sure. To be saved from their now sinful fallen nature. Okay. If, if they do not have the ability to respond, God had to give them grace for them to have faith and respond. They walked with God, right? Their son, uh, their sons, you know, one good example, one evil example, the, the presumption is they taught at least one of, if not both of their sons and their offspring to fear God, right? Mm -hmm. So the presumption is that, and this, this isn't written out in scripture, so there's a lot of presumption going on here, Yeah. but the presumption is not that God directly instructed Adam and Eve's offspring to fear him. It's that they learned from their parents. Oops, we screwed up. We're sinful. We're, you know, we are no longer in communion with God. Oh, look, a rock. Here's how to be in communion. Yeah, right. Here's how to be in communion with God. Okay. So either God immediately gave them grace and forgave them of the sin, even though he banished them from mm -hmm. the garden, or they still had the ability to positively respond to God's message. So, there, there's too many logical begging the questions necessary to conclude that man's new nature is how Calvinists interpret it. They are incapable of responding positively. So we'll move on to unconditional election. We've already had a two hour marathon session. I don't yeah. want to dig two more into the weeds there. So, uh, so before we get into yeah. the, the weeds, there, there's a couple of elements of unconditional election. I just wanted to see, um, if there was any agreement and if so, how much yeah, there sure. was. So, so first I, I'm hoping there's agreement here. Um, there is an elect. Would you agree with that? There is an elect, but I rejected it. it resembles anything remotely close to what Calvin. That's, that's fine. That's fine. As long as, because it's, it's in both of our Bibles. So we have to yep. understand it somehow. Okay. So yep. Fantastic. We can put that in the agree column. Giant asterisk agree. Yeah. Giant asterisk <laughs> agree. So, this election that God has, do you believe that God elects individuals? For specific purposes, not to salvation. Or, okay. So so if I were to say God elects individuals for salvation, which I would, you would disagree with that? I would absolutely unequivocally deny that. Okay. But you would agree that God elects individuals for specific purposes? Yes. Can you give me an example of... Either the purposes, Paul. okay, that's fair. <laughs> so, so what was what was Paul's purpose that he was elected for? Uh, we're we're getting. I, I've got that 
in my whole back and forth. Uh, this is way too early for me to just dump that on you. Um, so Paul's purpose was to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay. He states as much. Okay. I'm, I'm um, with you. I'm with you. He, but with his, okay. his purpose, his purpose is to be the one making the Jews jealous to bring them back into communion with God through faith instead of attempting to reach God on their own through the law. Somebody's been uh, reading Romans. Also, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I have no problem with God and I can even fit it perfectly logically within my overall view of how God interacts with man uh, to admit and acknowledge that God specifically uh, elects individuals unto service. Okay. Uh, Esau, <laughs> the brothers, uh, specifically there. Jacob and Esau, yep. Yep. Uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, uh, representative of one serving one purpose for salvation, one serving another purpose as the opposition. Uh, the the nations they represented, not the individuals. So so with that, for example, Ephesians 2.10, when it refers to the works that were prepared beforehand, this yeah. is kind of what you're talking about, uh, electing individuals for those particular earthly purposes. Correct. You, okay. So elected, elected through no action. Getting ahead of me. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to, to, to get some basics. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm there. All right, we're going to talk about this in detail. So, because uh, the whole uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, J- Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. You've shared this meme before, but that's more people. Oh, that's side Tim Brigan Kate. That's my homeboy right there. Uh-huh. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. All right. So, so just to clarify, we're get there. we agree that yeah. there's an elect, and so therefore God, yes. God elected. There was an election, yes. and He elects individuals. But you would say that he elects individuals to particular earthly purposes, not unto salvation or reprobation. Correct. So, so earthly purposes, not eternal purposes. Correct. Okay. Now, this election, do you believe it was before the foundation of the world that God elected these individuals? The especially Western language in English, the one we're both stuck with <clears throat> prior to let there be light. Yeah. Was there an election for these individuals to the oh, earthly dang, purposes? You're taking you me down wish. a rabbit hole. I was trying to avoid completely, but I knew it was trying to just ask you yes or no questions. It's There's too much presumption by every side of this argument. I've never seen someone take this argument. Uh, so, so let's, let's call a timeout for a yeah. second presumptions aside, th- this is one of the things that I've learned. We talked about yeah. labels and systematics that can be interpreted. And and maybe this is just something for me. I have no problem with labels because if somebody wants to presume something that I don't mean by a label, I'm content to let them do that. Yeah. So for the purposes so of this conversation, if somebody's going to presume. Giant asterisk. Yes. Uh, before the okay, foundations so, of the earth. But since okay. God is timeless, I view that differently than anybody else I've ever seen talk about scriptural facts, right? Okay. Now, the the, la- the last bit, well, I had another bit, but since you uh, disagree with the individuals elected to salvation, that, that's not going to matter anyway. This election for individuals that was prior to creation, however we understand that, big asterisk. Right. Was this election, uh, were those individuals elected uh, based on any foreseen action or condition? Or was it apart from any foreseen action or condition on their part? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. The one, okay. the one Can you of quickly Jacob give me and Esau. An example of each. Yeah, the one of Jacob and Esau. Uh, right, they they were elected to be the path uh, for the nation of Israel, and be the path of the opponents of the nation of Israel uh, through no act of their own. That was God's right. plan, right? Not, but not on human will or exertion, exactly. but because of Him who calls. Exactly. Okay. Right. Cool. Uh, okay. Can you give me an example of where there was foreseen? Paul, and uh, this is action. buried in my notes. I can't remember where uh, I found it um, or where I have it because we're going way out of order with just answering questions back and forth. That's, that's fine. Um, so, Paul's presentation of his own ministry was that 
God selected him for this ministry through no choosing of his own, right? But Paul, to conclude that that is God selecting Paul unto salvation begs the question that God necessarily made Paul believe in order for him to be the the apostle that you know the the most famous apostle the most one of the most famous historical figures ever but the most famous and most mm-hmm. active apostle of them all so his election unto service was unconditional but it was within the knowledge and calvinism always conflates the point that paul's silly calvinist i know god uh paul's conversion was caused by god in order for him to fulfill the uh, uh, the purpose God had called him unconditionally to. That's that's never affirmed in in uh, Scripture. Okay, I don't think I quite followed that. Can, can so, you repeat just the, the last little bit? Yeah. So with, with Paul, every argument I've ever heard from a Calvinist necessitates mm-hmm. that God causally brought him to faith in order that he fulfill the purpose of you know, his ministry mm-hmm. and similarly conclude that God brought Jacob to faith to be the, the conduit through which the nation of Israel is created. Uh, th- there's too much question begging going on there, right? They, they were brought to specific earthly purposes. And in the course of all that, their faith was made uh, transparent just like with Abraham, their their faith was uh, attributed to them as righteousness. All right, God has no problem attributing the faith of man to him as righteousness. That does not mean it makes us righteous. God gives us righteousness. He chooses to attribute our righteousness to uh, our faith to us as righteousness. So, so yeah. you don't believe that God actually makes us righteous. You believe He sees us as righteous. No, 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 no. He makes nope. us righteous. Okay. 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 He, Fantastic. He so another check in the agree column. Yeah. He makes us righteous because of our faith. Not he gives us faith and then counts that to us as righteousness. That that is not the logical way to read the interplay between faith and righteousness. It being attributed to us uh, uh, as righteousness. So. Okay. Um, let me back up a little bit before you go on with your questions. No, actually, because, that, that was it. Okay. So that was it. The other one was, do you believe that uh, it's up to God to save whomever he wills? But if you don't believe in the election unto salvation, then that really doesn't apply. Yeah, I I think that's a misinterpretation of. uh, That's what I figured. Yeah. So uh, Paul says the elect were chosen. Okay. How were they chosen? They were chosen in Christ. Okay. Right. God can previously love and affectionately regard as his own no sinner unless he has foreknown him in Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? All right. Those who are in Christ are those who have faith, according to Paul's own Romans writings. All right. We've already established in last week's marathon session that faith is not a work. All right. It is not a work of the law that is the self attainment of righteousness as as following the works of the law is seen to be okay Okay. Uh, faith is shown in opposition to works of the law by paul in all of his writings okay my position is that the elect is the people made like christ in his uh, regenerated perfected body form so this would be consistent with my view of the garden where death was brought into the world and mm-hmm. thereby man began to die physically, even babies dying in the womb, uh, people incapable, with, incapable of the mental capacity to understand right and wrong dying. Those people are all regenerated by Christ's sacrifice into the heavenly form. And the passage you were referring to with the angels, I think it was from the Baptist uh, confessions. 
I don't think that was in the Synod. I think that was from the Baptist. Let me see if I wrote it down in the notes. Um, uh, angels, angels, angels. Yeah, the London's Baptist Confession, Chapter 3, Men and Angels Predestined. So yep. the predestination there is those who faithfully follow God are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And what is the image of Christ Paul is talking about there? It is his regenerated, perfect, heavenly form in fellowship with him in the presence of God. Okay, Man cannot so see so God. You're folding in Romans 8 here now. Yes, I am. Right. So okay. uh, the, the concept Paul is presenting is not one of elected unto salvation. It is that we were predestined and conformed in we who have faith are predestined in the plan of God to recover from the death brought into the world by Adam. So let's camp perfect, out there for a second. Yeah. So what the apostle lays out in these two quick verses, Yep. for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Correct. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Correct. So there is a sense in which if you are foreknown, you've got the rest of it, right? If you're predestined, it was because you were foreknown and you've got the rest of it, the golden chain of redemption. Correct. Now, is, the is, form the form of Christ, everyone is assuming that is regeneration unto salvation, right? There is well, also yeah, the regeneration of, of glorification. the body. Well, there's also the glorification is the perf- perfect body as well in Revelation, okay? So, there, there, right? I mean, what, you're, Would you have that glorification apart from salvation, though? No, but Paul has already identified okay. that faith is apart from the law. So for it to be God giving them faith so that, that they can be regenerated mm-hmm. requires that faith is requires total inability and requires that faith is part of unconditional election unto salvation. Okay? That, that's, so, so at least... There is a an internal consistency between total depravity and unconditional Correct. Election. Okay. Correct. Hey, another checkbox in the agree consistent. column. All right. Well, so far so good. Not really. Um, <laughs> so Romans eight thirty one through thirty nine. Uh, the elect uh, called the eclecton in the native tongue, uh, and I'm probably ruining the pronunciation of that. Uh, chosen out by God for the rendering of special service to Him of of the Hebrew race of the Messiah, the Christians is the, the contextual primary definition of that word. Uh, so chosen out that in 31 through in Romans eight, where, where do you see that? Eight thirty-one through 39. I, I don't see what you just said in those verses, the chosen out by God. So in the ESV, it says chosen, but it's, it's the elect okay. it's uh eclecton is the word. The chosen is the elect there. Ecleton. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I country boy English man, all right? Uh, yeah, neither of us have been to seminary. Can yeah, you tell? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can't pr- pronounce that. So uh, starting in verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who mm-hmm. are called according to his purpose. Okay, those who are called, he has already established is uh, his purpose of spreading the gospel and the ministry of Christ. I don't know that that fits with this context, though. Hold on. Uh, Because he says called according to their purpose. And then the purpose that's laid out immediately is. Yeah, I'm getting a pattern from four. Okay, All right. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for blah, 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 blah. Uh, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined mm-hmm. to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay. The Calvinist interpretation. Hold on. The Calvinist interpretation there begs the question that those who he foreknew are those who he predestined. Okay. Uh, That's what the text says. For, no, though, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Wait, no. To be conformed <laughs> to the image of Christ. Okay. The okay, predestined for whatever, but there's a connection between foreknown and predestined. Those who were foreknown were predestined. But he can't foreknow someone who is sinful until he regenerates them. Well, it sounds like a presupposition that you, you're so a fan of 
uh, downplay. It, it says it in scripture. Anyway, uh, so what what he foreknew is those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who okay. are in Christ Jesus are those who faithfully believe. Okay. So for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So those who have faith, he pre-knew and predestined them to be conformed to the image of Christ, which is the perfection in heaven, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers in heaven. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, you, you you're getting stuck on he pre those whom he predestined. Okay, you, you you're losing the track. Wait a minute, you're losing the track of what is the condition for those he predestined for those he foreknew. Mm -hmm. Those he predestined. Okay, it's not he predestined and therefore he foreknew. Those whom he foreknew, and those he foreknew are those who are in Christ. Paul has already established those who were predestined were those who were in Christ. Those who are in Christ are those who faithfully believe. Okay, It's it's a circular reasoning argument to say God gives them the faith so they can be predestined. Therefore, he foreknows them. Therefore, he gives them the faith.